Good morning. Hello. I am walking Lake Hollingsworth this morning in an attempt to get back to some exercise and, um, you know, health, health things. It's, it's really tough for me to get out and walk. Um, and I'm not going to shine this on me the whole time. I do want to give you a view. So I'm going to flip it and flip the camera in a little bit, but I, um, you know, many of you know that I have osteoporosis and that I have, um, I had brain surgery and that I have, um, scoliosis and it's all those things sound kind of overwhelming, but, um, I'm so lucky because I have had, um, positive experiences in treating all of those, which these wonderful Facebook groups that are so supportive, I have learned that that is not the case for everybody. So I'm gonna flip this around so you can start seeing what I'm seeing and I am sure I'm gonna be winded. There's This is about a three and a half mile walk around this lake and I am completely out of shape. I used to be an athlete and played tennis through you know, high school, college, after college, ladies teams, um, a lot. And I kind of got out of that because my business took over and then um, health took over and I was restricted, limited ability. So anyways, let me, let me flip you over. Okay, so this is Lake Hollingsworth. It's absolutely beautiful. This is Lakeland, Florida, and this is our largest or most popular lake. I guess it's our largest lake too. Our most popular lake for walking. And like I said, it's about three and a half miles, maybe a little bit under three miles to walk the whole lake. And I'm gonna see if I can, if I can do it. I haven't walked here in a few months because I had suffered um, yet another, what I thought was a spinal fracture but it ends up being um, some kind of issue with my scoliosis so anyway so it wasn't a fracture so that was good but i wanted to touch on ritual the idea of ritual and we had a um we did our podcast our creative well on last thursday it went live and the recording is up on all my channels and I just wanted to follow up with my own, my own reflections on it because I was so moved by so many parts of it. I've learned, we had Robin Marie Smith on, who is a mixed media artist and tech savvy artist. And we had Christina Pateras on, who just did her master's in eco, um, I think it's called eco psychology. And sorry, Christina, if I got that wrong. And um, she's an artist. And then of course, Allie Manning, who is a bookmaker and the CEO of Vintage Page Designs is my co-host. So we had, we had quite the diversity of um, perspectives. And we were talking about life transitions and creativity. And I really wanted to touch on that because, touch more on that. Um, after listening to the podcast when we were finished I listened to it again I read the transcript and um, there's just so many things that just inspired me and moved me and I I just want to really touch on ritual life transitions and creativity and I think ritual is a word that is used in a variety of ways to mean various things and so in my in my sense, in my perspective, ritual is um, almost a form of meditation. And it is something that's grounding and it can be action, it can be even just sitting and reflecting. But I think the idea of ritual is not that it is scheduled. And I think so many people think of ritual as being this idea of, um, something you do over and over again 
that is set at a certain time, kind of like church maybe, or triggered by an event that you um, continually, you know, when that event happens, you respond in this certain way, in a ritual, ritualistic way. And for me, I think that one of the things that I interpreted from Christina on the Life Transitions and Creativity podcast for Our Creative Well was that ritual is a grounding. It's a meditation. It's something that you hold so dearly to you that when you need to um, find yourself to reflect, to refresh, that you go back to this ritual it, and it puts you back into this core of who you are. Look at the little, the little birds down there. And that ritual could be anything from walking, from um, sacred, you know, sacred um, meditation, giving an offering to the earth, to sitting on a chair with a journal, to just, you know, staring out into space of wherever you are. And so ritual doesn't have to be something that is um, basically indoctrinated. It's something that, you know, you can decide what that ritual is for you. And it's something very personal. So for me, I spent years um, in the public, in the public sector, basically in the public world. So whether I had, whether I was working um, in a public situation, worked at the South Carolina State Museum, and then went on to work as a um, national, the director of, an, of um, the national director of a hammock line. So I did a lot of uh, conventions. And so I was always out with the public. I grew up in retail, so I was out with public all the time. And then, and then I went into, you know, got my master's in education and went into teaching. And so of course I was with people all the time. And then I always did the art circuit, share, uh, showed my work. So I was out in public with that. And so I spent really up until the time I was about 50, 52 maybe, um, I'm 54 now. So up until about two years ago, three to two to three years ago, before COVID, I spent having to be on all the time. And so on meaning that I was in public, serving the public, showing my art to the public, talking with the public, all of that for a good bit of my day. I owned a retail art studio in North Carolina. We were open seven days a week. I was there from opening to close every day, except about maybe four days of the year. It was crazy. I know it was crazy. We homeschooled our children from that location. And, you know, I, I love the public. I love, I love working with people. I've made some wonderful friends in all of these different situations from being on the promenade at Disney for five years, almost five years. I have a lot of great friends from that time and from my art studio, all of that. But it's draining. And it's not draining because you, because I'm somebody that I, you know, because I had to like put on this public persona. I was basically what you see is what you get. So I'm pretty authentic. Um, it's draining because that button is always on, which means that at any moment you might be asked to respond, to reply, to act to something that somebody needs. And because it's in service to them, I would always respond. And so I know as a mom, obviously we're always on. There's no off button. Even now with my grown children, I'm always on. If they call, they need me, you know, I'm going to drop everything and intend to them. But this is different. When your life is served in a situation where 
you are always on, it can be very draining. And I remember as I, as I reflect back to those years of, especially when I was teaching in schools, that um, I, the breaks that I would take for me were very solo. And I loved going to the movies by myself. I loved going to just on walks by myself. I loved going to outdoor market areas so that I could just walk around and enjoy just around and not be on, not have to be in a situation where somebody was going to walk into the store and um, need me for whatever reason. And so those, my ritual became, during that time, became escape. Um, there were years where I, my husband traveled almost every week of the year. And he was gone from Mondays through Fridays and we had four, four little kids at home. And I remember just getting to points where um, on, um, here, wait, I'm gonna take a break for a minute. You can see, see a little turtle there. And there are people trying to get the turtle to walk back to the other side of the lake. Oh no, she's gonna put him in. She just turned his direction so he could focus. They were they were trying to coax him into getting to the other side of the lake. Or not the other side of the lake, sorry, the other side of the bank, so he could go in the lake instead of the road. Anyways. Um, so the times that he were, was gone and he would walk in the door on a Friday evening and say, go, just go, just go do whatever you need to do. You've been home all week. You need to have a break. And I would say, but you just got home. We haven't had time together all week. Da, 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 da. And he was like, no, you need to go. You need to go do whatever you need to refresh yourself so that we can have a great family weekend. And it was awesome. I mean, my husband was just so supportive and so dedicated to my mental health. And I remember living, we only had two kids at the time, but we were living in Ocoee, Florida. I was teaching school at Lake Highland Prep and we, only, we had the girls. And on a Friday evening, I would hop over to the bookstore that was just basically across the way. We were living in an apartment building like that was across from like a mall, I think it was. And I can't remember if it was a, I think it was a Barnes and Noble, but I can't remember what it was. Anyways, they would have Friday night music and I would skip over there, sit for a while, have a coffee and, you know, enjoy just listening to the music. And so that was my escape. So as, as long as I can remember, even into middle school and high school, especially high school when I started to drive, that I would take these times by myself. That was how I, that was my ritual. What can I do that recharges just me? The energy that was around was directed to refueling, refueling me. Um, and I know people would say, oh, you know, go get your manicure, go do this, go do that, go to the spa, go to, no, that wasn't for me. And it still isn't. So one of my things that, you know, I've always loved to do is to be out in nature, but not just walking. Like this is, I love this, this is beautiful, but I can't do this very often. Um, I have to change scenes. So, my ritual then was to be on my own. And I was always labeled as an extrovert. And here's where the life transitions come in. I was always labeled as an extrovert. And so as I started to get older and I went through having my studio and I went through art shows and I went through Disney residencies and I had these health problems that just kind of stopped me in my track through when that happened I was like oh well I'm changing maybe I'm not an extrovert I love quiet 
I love being on my own. I love the solo part. And so maybe I'm an introvert. And what I feel like now is I'm not a label. So life transitions for me means that I am in a space where I'm completely comfortable with myself without defining myself. So ritual comes into play, meaning that it is whatever I need to do in that moment to ground myself, to feel like I'm in the moment, I'm actually living in that moment, consciously living in that moment. And what happens a lot is that I have this visual in my head. And the visual or the visualization is sitting, me sitting someplace, usually my bistro table in the kitchen with my favorite mug of a homemade latte that I love to make. Curled up in the corner of my blue velvet settee that's in there and staring out the window and just being in that moment. And when I am stuck somewhere that I feel like I need to regroup myself, that visualization is what I go back to. And so I often have to have um, MRIs for potential fractures of my spine that I've had and some other things and so I I know I pull on that visualization when I'm in my in the M MRI chamber a lot I pull that visualization out even when I'm teaching online live that you know there's moments where I need to be patient I need to let people kind of catch up to what I had just taught and my regular tendencies to just keep talking and talking them through different um, aspects of it. And so what I do instead is to, well, I'm trying to anyways, trying to take those pauses and my visualization goes back to that spot, that, that spot at my bistro table. And so how is that ritual? Well, I think ritual is something that's ingrained in you or in me, this is how I'm perceiving it, ingrained in me that it kind of captures my essence at the same time as radiating out energy. So maybe it's pulling in positive energy and it's exhaling, I don't wanna say negative energy because it's not negative, but it's exhaling energy that could be better served somewhere else. So I feel like when we were talking about life transitions and we were talking about ritual, going back to ritual, it was, to me, I interpreted it to be going back to meditation, going back to visualizations, going back to how can, how can I feel grounded in ways that, you know, I may not have access to in that particular moment. And again, then I use visualization. So, you know, life transitions and creativity are so tied in together because like for me, I've always taught a ton of different mediums. I've always been versed in a ton of different mediums. I mean, I could teach and do and sold in art shows way too many different mediums. I mean, it was crazy. And a lot of people do that to kind of find themselves. I did that because I, I was raised like that, basically. I went to a, a, an all-girls school, Ellis School in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania 
it was not an art school, but it was heavily based in the arts. And we were exposed to such a variety of mediums from silversmithing, beautiful jewelry, to batiking, block printing, um, woodworking, pottery, of course, pottery was a mainstay, painting, all of those things. And so as I grew into an artist and into my art business, I had all these experiences that I just wanted to continue to explore. And that was great. And I didn't feel like I was finding myself. I didn't feel like I was searching for something that was truly me. I felt like every part of that was me. I felt like exploration is me. It was individual. It's, it's individual for everybody. So I just kept doing it. And then as my business started to grow and I started to kind of look at and segment parts of my business that I really enjoyed. Um, it boiled down to always pottery. I mean, that's a given. Pottery is my favorite art medium of all. But then plant same papers because not only was the art, not only is the art of that beautiful, but the science intrigues me. And the connection with nature is just, it's just so close to my heart. So, and then of course, I've always taught art journaling. I'm in a phase in my life where I am still teaching art journaling, but it's online. And as much as I absolutely love to teach art journaling, um, and my students even know this, I'm finding it a little challenging to, um, to teach online because I like to feed off my students. And so I only teach those live so that I can have that student interaction. Uh, I've talked to my students about you know, some recorded classes that I had done in the past, and um, I'll probably do some more in the future, but I really, really like the engagement from the live students. So anyway, so I started to kind of just target the three mediums that I really wanted to explore more, and, and teaching is actually at the very bottom of that list which it's crazy because business-wise, teaching is probably the most successful avenue that I could pursue online. Um, I have several friends that have very successful careers teaching online and you know their recommendation is to continue down that path. But honestly, I've taught for over 30 years and I've taught everything from pre-K through college. And I've taught English and writing and social studies. And then I've taught special ed. And of course I taught ceramics one and two in college at two different colleges. And, and then I've taught adults. And I taught um, professionals. One of my jobs was as a technology facilitator in a huge manufacturing plant where I was responsible for teaching the executives how to incorporate technology into their into their jobs and that was that was 28 years ago so technology has changed quite a bit since then but you know I have this vast resume of teaching and honestly I'm just burned out of teaching so as successful as I could be if I really harnessed the energy behind teaching. It's just not in the cards. It's just not something that I want to devote more energy to. And what I really want to do is just make pottery and sell it. Now, I'm saying that um, separate from my plant stain papers because I am doing I am teaching those, that concept, 
in a um, in a pretty big capacity. Mm -hmm. I'm starting. I'm going to teach at John C. Campbell Folk School starting May, or actually starting April of 2023, and I'm going to be teaching that around the nation and hopefully even get to international. So I consider that very separate than what I'm talking about that I'm burned out on. Um, that engagement of being in a retreat situation a week long or three day in-person experience, whatever it might be, is a completely different a completely different um, aspect to teaching than what I'm talking about recording classes and just popping them on the internet. So, and you can tell if you've ever taken my online, on, sorry, my online plant stain paper class, it's a course, it's an in-depth course, you know how intense and how involved I get with that. So I absolutely love that workshop and I'm really proud of how that came together online but I am really like on a day-to-day -day basis I'm really focused on creating pottery that that does that that does for other people what it does for me obviously I'm a maker and so I absolutely love the actual technique and the process. But it's the finished pieces that still make my heart go pitter-patter when I use them, when people use them. You know, the intention is that um, when somebody picks up a piece of my pottery, I want them to feel, first of all, my passion and my energy that went into creating it but for them I want them to feel like it is almost like a um oh I was trying to think of the thing in Harry Potter where you touch it and it takes you to someplace else and now I can't I can't think of what that's called brain situations here but I want you to you know when you're when you're going to have a cup of coffee I want you to be able to look and pick one of my mugs that either fits the mood that you're in that you want to stay in or it carries you to a feeling that you're looking for and we had this discussion yesterday in a meeting that you know I was talking about pottery and I was talking about even choosing a bowl I was trying to do this overnight no oats um, food for my breakfast and it's a little bit of a learning curve to actually get your body to enjoy it and process it but also my taste buds I was just in the beginning I just was ugh. and so but I was determined because I know I need to eat it for health reasons and as I was spending days figuring out how I could concoct this a little bit more in a more appetizing way for me, I changed the bowls each day because the bowl that I was eating out of made all the difference in the world. A wide bowl, I was looking down at this kind of something that looked like gravel, it wasn't very appetizing. And then I had it in one of my skinny bowls that had kind of like a curved up top and I couldn't all my toppings were kind of just like the first few bites and so that didn't work and so I ended up after trial and error getting to one of my bowls that was kind of in the middle it's kind of like a Goldilocks story right and it had this wonderful it's a it's kind of a round it's a round bowl that is I want to say almost like a Bombay shape in a way and it has this little hook at the top it's meant for sushi for um, chopsticks so it's a sh sushi bowl but 
the shape and the feel and all of that just made these overnight no oats more appealing to me, more appetizing to me. And it made me feel like I'm snuggled back into that blue velvet satay and curled up in the corner of it, looking out the window, but instead of a cup of coffee, I'm eating these. And the light, this is so strange, I know you're probably gonna think I'm so strange, but the light is different. So when I do something like that, when I have those visualizations, light makes a big difference. And that light gets brighter when I sit there and I visualize me eating those no oats. It's almost like, it's almost like health is raining down on me. And I truly go through those stages, those processing stages when I'm deciding which bowl to use for things or plates to use. And we were talking about my casserole bakers and how they came to be because I needed an enticement to go into the kitchen. Um, I'm not a cook, but I have to start eating more at home and eating better food at home. And so in order for me to be interested in cooking, I had to make something that made it interesting. And it was the casserole bakers. The idea that I am filling this wonky kind of flowery round shape with healthy foods and baking it up and when it comes out it not only tastes wonderful but it looks great and it is hugged by one-of-a-kind pottery all around as it's going through that process and even though I'm the maker and I feel that, the intention is that you as the collector or the customer also has that feeling that, wow, you know, this is something that only I have access to because it's a one of a kind piece. Look at those little squirrels over there and a rabbit because it's a one of a kind piece. And so, you know, the idea that you're, that you're drawn to the energy that that piece radiates is my whole intention. It's the idea that in this world of the big box stores and the Walmarts and all of that, that you surpassed, you went by all of those great discount opportunities and all of those things and you purchased a piece that first of all is an heirloom piece but secondly is a piece that you connect with on a personal level and I think that um, I think that as I'm writing this I'm writing an article that kind of is geared to all of that and I'm reading all kinds of research to kind of formulate my ideas. And one is about minimalism. And this idea of minimalism is something that I really started to, there's another turtle. I really started to embrace. I don't wanna to get too close, but we have a lot of turtles around here, especially this time of year. Isn't he pretty cool? There's a rabbit right there. Anyways, that um, when we bought this this last house, we've we've owned five houses, and one was a farm, a big a big farm with horses and all that. And but this house is our calm retirement kind of house. And when we bought this house, we had gotten rid of most of our furniture and other things from all the other places, and you know a lot of them were handy hand me downs, and we had had them for thirty years and. We decided to design this as our sanctuary and in a way that things were very calm and inviting and tranquil and a safe place. And so as, and we didn't want a whole lot of stuff around. We didn't want clutter. And so as I kind of put my pottery in this idea of minimalism, especially like the casserole bakers and all that, I realized that curating what we buy 
so that it brings to us the energy and the connection and the essence of what we need in the moment of using them is more valuable than anything else that we do in our daily daily work, our daily lives. So that's also part of um, my ritual is making sure that the pieces that I choose to spend my day with, whether it's pottery for my meals, my snacks, my coffee, my desk, my studio desk, paintbrush holders, all that kind of stuff. Every little bit that I see in my world every day is there for a reason, it's there for a purpose, and it's there because I have a connection to it. And I'm a collector of pottery. I'm a collector of other people's work. When I go someplace, that's a feline that I make to, you know, to art is pottery. And I, again, feel that connection with those potters and those pieces. I'm choosing those pieces because they're gonna bring something to my world that I don't have and that I want or that I desire. And, you know, it's, it's this is off the subject just a little bit, but, you know, as I was becoming a, a full-fledged professional artist, we would go to art shows that I wasn't showing in or we would go to stores when we were traveling or something like that. And I would see something that I really liked and it, it depending, it wasn't, it didn't matter who was with me. It could have been my husband, could have been, you know, friends, my mom, anybody. And they would say, well, you can make that. And I would say, well, no, I can't because that artist made that. I could make something that would serve that same purpose, but I can't create what they created because what they created has their essence in it as much as what I create has my essence in it. And so I purchase things because their pieces called me and I have a connection to it and it's my, and it's like a namaste moment is that the light in me recognizes and appreciates and is grateful for the light in you and vice versa. And so, you know, I said that was off the subject, but it's actually part of my life transitions too. It's be able to verbalize those things. Because years ago, I, I wasn't confident enough, I don't think, to be able to discuss such things. And I think there's, I think there's a, can you tell I'm getting really, really winded? Um, I think there's a part of our upbringing in our culture that is always a competitive aspect and it says that um, if we're creating something or making something or in the same kind of job or something as somebody else then we need to constantly try to be better than them and the art world and there are people in the art world like that so don't don't get me wrong because it's it's definitely there that's definitely in every industry but I think so much of us so many of us in the art world appreciate other artists because we recognize the fact that we each bring our soul essence to what we create. And that cannot be copied, no matter how many people that try. That cannot be emulated by anybody else. And all of that kind of comes back into this full circle with life transitions, ritual, and creativity because and I, I kind of touched on this in my, one of the things I was saying in our podcast was about imposter syndrome, but it was kind of like a variation of what we think of. You know, imposter syndrome we know of as we try, we are kind of in a higher level of something than we think we deserve or we think we should be. And so we feel like we're imposters. But I have been feeling imposter syndrome for the last couple of years thinking that I was 
emulating something that I was less than where I had been, that by me slowing down, taking stock in each moment that I live, um, looking at each piece of, of pottery or paper that I make as being an, a, a piece of my essence. I mean, I did that before, but I started to slow down and really take it all in. And I felt like others were going to, I guess, judge, for lack of a better word, that I was not really being me, that I wasn't being authentic, that I was being slack. And and I said this in the podcast, is that was me projecting those ideas onto other people. I've never had anybody in my family look at me and say, well, God, you're not, you're not doing what you need to do. I've never had that. And um, I've been very fortunate. So, so I had to get to the point where I understood that I was going through a life transition. And that that life transition, as Robin Marie had said, is that on the other end can be even better than where you were before. And it's so true. The solace, the bliss, the tranquility that I feel now when I am creating or doing whatever I'm doing. My daily, even cooking, that I couldn't stand cooking for all those years. I feel such a pleasure and an honor to be alive doing it. So, my life transition has come from being labeled as an extrovert and being very people-oriented and really busy all the time has changed to wanting to be more alone, more time alone, um, calm, not busy. If there's too many things on my plate, I take them off. I had somebody that even asked me today about doing a mixed media or a intuitive painting in-person class and I declined because that's just not where I am right now. I don't, I don't need another ball to juggle. I don't need anything else on my plate. And, you know, when you are raised and you work in the public sector for so long, I think you become a people pleaser and breaking that is really hard. And I used to, when I started to um, be in a position where I was changing and I realized that I cannot do it all and I needed to really kind of prioritize, I, I felt guilty if I had to decline things. I felt like I had to give a full explanation. Disney, I had declined, I've declined about three or four invites. They don't ask anymore, just to let you know, because it's been, so I had so many, you know, I declined and the last decline was just, okay, when you're ready to come back, you get in touch with us, which is the, the best thing that they could have told me was that the door was always opened, but I had to be ready to walk through it. But I declined those invites because of my health and I was very upfront with that. And so they were very open to, they were very understanding. They were very open to have me do what I needed to do for health reasons. But... I did still feel like I had to explain. And so now, a few years later, I'm at the point where I can decline without explanation. I don't, I don't owe that explanation to anybody. I owe it to myself to, isn't that a beautiful picture? to myself to um, say no and do what is what is better for me and so here's the bullet points I guess for life transitions and because I know I, I rambled you helped me walk around this lake Whew, that's feel, that feels pretty good 
I really miss being on the tennis court and right now I'm not allowed to twist. So tennis is off the table for a little bit. Anyways, bullet points. Number one, I think is, let's, let's go to ritual, is figure out what helps you transcend the moments if you don't particularly gain positivity from those moments. If you don't feel like the moment you're in is something you can continue being without help when you're overwhelmed. So having a ritual in place to go to at that moment is imperative. And having it ready to go is the most crucial part of that. And I don't mean that you have to set up an altar for going to meditate at or a journaling spot to go right away and pick up your pen and all that. I'm talking about having something, whether it's a visualization, it's a prayer, it's a pebble that you hold in your pocket, something that focuses your attention in that moment on something that brings you back to your core essence. So that's the first one. That's ritual to me. Secondly, about life transitions and having, first of all, having the confidence to say that you're not a label and change is inevitable. So instead of trying to define who you were, who you are, and who you are going to be, soak up the element that you have always and will always be you. And what that means is changing all the time, every day, influenced by the world around us, inspired by the choices we make, the spaces where we are. So there's no concrete steps to go through life tra transition if you are not mentally embracing that notion. And then once you mentally embrace that notion, then you can take your steps. You know, the first thing that I always lean on now is something that I read in one of my osteoporosis books. And of course, I cannot remember the name of it. It's really the only one that I am using as a resource now because I read through so many and this book was amazing. So this is the one that I use and I'll, I'll put that, um, I'll put that book title in the comments, but she said, remember that transitions take time. Give yourself two years to go through your transition. Don't expect something to happen overnight and allow yourself time to kind of reverberate in the land of transition itself. And so that, that was amazing to me. So step one, after you mentally embrace the fact that you don't have to label anything, is to then understand that you need to give yourself time. And the way that I do it is I found, especially with osteoporosis, is that, um, and I'm gonna pull over here for just a minute, pull over like I'm driving, I'm walking. So I chose, um, I chose one aspect of my life. And of course my health is the biggest thing right now besides, you know, my business, obviously my family, my new grandma, love that. 
Um, I'm a Shelly. So Rochelle went to Shelly for the grandma name. Anyways, um, is my health. And so I then kind of looked at health because it's a, that's a huge topic. And I broke it down into physical exercise and physical kind of um, programs. And then, not really programs, but physical attention, I guess. And then attention to eating. And then I kind of went into those in very small, objective ways. So let's go to physical first. Um, I knew that I was not a walker. I knew that with osteoporosis that strength training is important. And because I have compression fractures in my spine, what I needed to do was get more strength in my spine and build that up. So I'm in physical therapy. Um, I did start playing tennis again up until this last kind of not really injury, but issue. And what I did was decide that I didn't want to play tennis with somebody else because I didn't want to be in a position where I had to, I was like, um, what would, what would be the word? I was like obligated or that I was, um, part of either a doubles team or playing against somebody. And I felt like I had to chase after balls. So what did I do? I decided that I was just going to hit against the wall because I could, I could stop when I needed to stop. I could run for balls whenever I wanted to, and I could let balls pass me. And I didn't have any kind of obligation to anybody else on the court. And I loved that, you know, that was just something that got me back on, back doing what I wanted to do, but in the boundaries and that I could, that I could do it at that time. So that was a big thing for me physically. Um, now that I have to take a break again from tennis for a little bit, back in physical therapy, I will need to walk, which hopefully something like this encourages me to do more. So physically, again, baby steps. One day I'll get back on the tennis court with people, but right now I don't have that pressure. And I won't have that pressure in the future because I'm not ever competing again. So I can do what I need to do for my own physical well-being. So flip over to the health, to the um, food side, the eating, the eating better side. That was more complicated for me because I, even though I love to learn and research and all that, I don't have the memory capacity to recall what foods give me what benefits, when to eat them, what to eat them in association with, and all that kind of stuff. So this book helped me because of the two-year idea. Give yourself two years. And I can slowly make adjustments. And then the Facebook groups help me as well because there's people that are die-hard eating and exercising all day long focused on their osteoporosis. I just can't do that. But um, I've learned, I've picked up different things and then I slowly incorporate them into my, my way. So the first thing as far as eating was again, making it enticing for me to be in the kitchen. That was the casserole bakers. And then it was finding recipes that were easy for me to make, that were healthy, not necessarily healthy specifically for osteoporosis but we're healthy and I'm vegan. So what I ended up finding was from the, from my bowls, her blog, and she did, she does these 10 ingredient dump and bakes. So that was easy for me to follow. And I then started to be confident with those and I started to make my own ingredient dump and bakes. And so I, that was creating and that was creativity and that was fun. So then from there, I started looking at, okay, what can I add in kind of like a daily vitamin, but it's food. And interestingly enough, as I was doing my research, found that I had to, I, I that doctors and others recommend six prunes a day. 
for boron. And so that was easy enough to do. And I like, I put those in the refrigerator, count out my six every day, and I eat those through the day or even in the morning. And then that's my boron. And then a friend of mine from eons ago, it's a doctor and read something that I wrote on um, Facebook and graciously messaged me and said, you know, you probably need some more K12, K2. And this is how I suggest, this is how I get it and this is how I suggest. And it was eating natto, which is um, a Japanese food. It's fermented soybeans, but it's like one of the best ways to get K2, which I believe is magnesium, into your body. And so I looked up the natto and it ends up that I have to order it. I order it through Amazon, but I order it specifically from a company in New York that makes their own vegan natto. Our local Asian grocery store did not have any vegan versions of natto. And they were the ones that told me that most of their customers who need the, who um, get the vegan kind have to order it from this place in New York. And so that's what I started doing. And I actually like it. Three little teaspoons, or I can't remember now if it's three tablespoons or three teaspoons. I just use a regular spoon now because I know how much it is and spoon it onto my, my food on a daily basis. And I'm getting that. And so, you know, little by little, I'm living the changes in a very doable way. And along with that, I have cut back on sugar and I really need to drink more water, which I do not do. That was one thing that tennis always helped me with because it would make me very thirsty and exercise helps me with. So hopefully with more exercise, I can get back to drinking more water. So very kind of, now we're in a, this is our tennis court, our club. This is the yacht club and tennis club right there. And the wall, hi. <laughs> um, and the wall right there is kind of blocking, blocking that, that gentleman, that sweet gentleman thought I was hiding him, but no, he had some cute dogs with him. So I would have loved to have them, but all right, let's just look at the wall for a minute. So those were long bullet points, but the essence of that is to have your expectations at a doable level and know what you really will do. I mean, that's my biggest reality check. And I'm pretty good with reality. I always say that I could never be a world famous artist because I'm not crazy enough because I'm too rooted in reality. Um, but, you know, I, I literally ask myself the question, are you really going to do that? And then I do whatever my answer takes me to do. And so I'm not one to say, oh, I really should do that. Let me get all the stuff and then not do it because, you know, I'm not, that's not a commitment. So I only make a commitment to things that I know that I'm actually going to, to do. And as it gets easier, as I do my six prunes a day and my natto a day, what I just actually recently added in was a handful of almonds. And for some reason, I can't remember why. I haven't, I haven't owned that yet, I guess, as far as the reason why I need to go back and and look at my notes again, but a handful of almonds into my diet. Um, mushrooms soaked in the sun for vitamin D is something that I would like to get to, something that's in that book. I just, I haven't done that. I eat a lot of mushrooms, but I, I haven't ever soaked them in the sun to, to absorb the vitamin D. So I hope that I hope you get something out of this. I hope that the intention that I wanted to issue, which was to maybe give a little bit more specific specificity. Is that the right word? Specific specificity. I don't know, whatever. 
<laughs> I hope that um, beside between all of my story and my backstory, my ramble and all that, that you get the the point of what my intention is to find what works for you for ritual, do steps that you re realistically will take in changing whatever you need to change or continue through a transition that you're in, in already, but also to embrace the idea that you don't have to label yourself. You don't have to define yourself. You can just be you. So enjoy. I made it the whole way around. Almost 3.5 miles, I think. I'll check that out. And um, I'll talk to you next time. Thanks and watch Our Creative Well. The next episode is Thursday, May 5th. And you can go to my website, rochelleeason.com forward slash Our Creative Well and be able to register. I don't think that registration is up yet, but you'll be able to register to actually be in the Zoom room with us where you can put your comments live or you can stream it and watch it through Facebook and then all the recordings and all that. The button will be there on that page also for recordings of this past one and as well as future ones. So remember you can find out more from me about me, my art, my pottery, my plant stained paper, my classes at RochelleEason.com. Thank you and I am signing off from sunny Lakeland, Florida. <laughs>